If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're going to talk about STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, and we're going to call this the good, the bad, and the ugly of STEM because there are some good things, there's some bad things, there may even be some ugly things that I don't know about. Joining me today is Tammy Getz. She is the director of Utah STEM Action Center, and Susan Spears, the CEO of Utah Association of Certified Public Accountants, and UACPA is the sponsor of Money Making Sense, so we're always glad when Susan can show up. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I think that we've got kind of a fun topic, and I think that maybe even a topic that there's a lot of unknown to. So yeah, Tammy, I'm glad that you're going to be here to help us out. I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, I have been hearing the phrase STEM thrown around for about a decade now, and I remember when I first started hearing about it, I didn't quite understand what it was. I mean, I understand what the letters stood for, but I didn't understand the implications behind STEM and what the big push was for it. So Tammy, maybe you can start off, what is STEM and why do we need it? That's a great place to start. I think you know, STEM has gone through iterations of definitions and depending upon who you are, you may have your own version of how you view STEM, which is really, I think, the beauty of it. And as we see it at the, at the STEM Action Center, is it's a combination of things, right? It's a set of tools that you can put in a toolbox and take with you into career pathways. It includes content and skill sets around science and math and how you apply them in the technology and engineering and scientific spaces. But there's also a mindset around STEM and it's not exclusive to STEM. I want to make that clear. I mean, creativity is not owned by anybody. You know, it's not owned by those in the art space. It's not owned by those in the STEM space, but there is a false conception that STEM is not creative and it actually is the essence of creativity. STEM is a mindset that allows for cross-disciplinary, cross-sectional um, thinking that integrates and goes across multiple disciplines and multiple industries. So it's really, it's a, it's a specific set of skills and content knowledge, and it's also a way of thinking, of seeing problems, solving problems, and a way of applying those to real-world applications, whether they're in healthcare and medicine or energy or transportation, you name it. So why the big push that media has glommed on to in the last decade to talk about STEM? I mean, these courses or reasons of thought have been around for thousands of years. So why... Just in the last 10 years, did somebody finally got creative and decided to make a name for it? Well, that name, actually, it's, uh, it's funny. It's an acronym that was created by the National Science Foundation. And funny story around that, I remember I was at a conference and they were unveiling this new initiative at National Science Foundation. And we were in a huge you know, ballroom and it was called SMET. Science, Math, Engineering, and Technology. <laughs> and the gasps of horror. <laughs> and why everybody looking at each other, really? And then long story short, it became STEM. And, you know, like many things, um, these initiatives, these movements, uh, you know, which appropriately on a show such as this, they come from a need for talent a lot of times. So there was definitely, there has been a long, a longstanding unmet need for talent in the STEM related industries, both in tech and healthcare, 
Um, and that unmet need has grown over the years. And with the changing, the the, the changing uh, needs in our in our industries, more there's more STEM, particularly in the tech areas that we see emerging. And in fact, you know, the the there are people who believe that 60 to, or 65 percent of the current student population is going to be working in a workforce of which the jobs have yet to be defined or invented. Um, and so I think it's, it's always industry demand. I do believe that, you know, we have to think about um, people recognize that a lot of the, the innovations, a lot of the decisions around STEM related issues, such as healthcare, for instance, um, were being made by a small part of the population because um, when we look at STEM and the students that are, have been shortly choosing to go there or been have had access to STEM, it has resulted in a less diverse talent pool than we would hope to have in, in, in industries that really do need to have a diverse perception, you know, kind of more comprehensive, holistic, diverse, you know, kind of view of how the products are developed and how things are designed. I know that when STEM first brought on, they especially were pushing more women in the STEM fields, but I'm sure that also extends to people of diversity and different backgrounds. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, It's, and so I think that seeing that, that need to grow diversity, to broaden participation, that was a driving motivation from a federal level, most definitely from the National Science Foundation. But uh, so those are probably the main reasons why STEM has become, you know, such a, you know, kind of a big need in many, in almost any state. I don't think there's a state out there that does not have some type of state level STEM initiative in some capacity going on. STEM related industries are growing and their talent needs continue to expand and grow. Susan, as an accountant, that would be math, which falls under the STEM or SMET. I've learned something new now. (laughs) I hope nobody from National Science Foundation is listening to this. <laughs> so, Susan, what are your thoughts on on this push to for STEM areas of, of research and study? Well, I think it's real. You, you know, you talk about my profession. I'm in the accounting profession. And if you look at STEM, I mean, we take two of the letters. We take 50% of STEM, math and technology. I often say that, you know, you can be an accountant, you can be a CPA with elementary, third or fourth grade math. But what we see happening is with all the AI, all the technology that is coming in, the beauty is, is that, um, that, that elevation of STEM is up, it's elevating our position, the need for CPAs and the things that we can do. So we, you know, it's important that we get these kids interested in STEM at the elementary level and that we introduce them. And, you know, Tammy makes a great point about creativity. I mean, how many times have we watched kids play with trucks or Legos and using their hands and they're creating things that that's where it begins. And it's, you know, kind of fostering that creativity into things that we haven't even thought about yet. And fostering that critical thinking skill at a young, you know, that young age and bringing it up as these kids grow up. Okay. You know, Susan, it's, if I could add something really quick, just to segue off that, you know, with accounting, and that's why I was so excited to be on here because, you know, being able to have a conversation around 
how math is so critically important in even industries that people don't necessarily think of as traditional STEM-related industries. Um, Math is the big gorilla in the room that causes us so much heartburn around um, closing doors to opportunity access for, for our children and our youth to even think about going into a STEM career if they wanted to because um, how many of us have war wounds and battle wounds around math that we could talk about for hours, right? Yeah. And, and so, and I, I'll say that, you know, we know that the data indicates that success in early math, that zero to five year age window is one of the key predictors to success in the remaining academic pursuits, including reading and language arts. So, I mean, you, you are hitting on a really solid point that math is absolutely essential. Yeah, I want to bring in a story that I went through. And I know a lot of times girls or people of more diverse backgrounds, sometimes you still get the teachers that dismiss them and call more on the boys in the class, sort of tout them as being better at math, even if they're, it's unconscious to them. But I had in my own family, my father has a doctorate in mathematics. And the issue was, is sometimes there were topics in the math area that came up that I didn't quite understand. So I would go to him to ask and he would explain it a completely different way than the teacher did. So it confused me even more. And he would just tell me that I wasn't even trying. I wasn't trying to learn and would walk off. And so I felt like I couldn't even learn math, but it wasn't that I wasn't trying. It's that now I had two different explanations for something I didn't even understand to begin with. I think that that brings in another good point that men and women, we we certainly think differently. And I think that we've seen over and over that our female population gets discounted in this math arena. But yet now I've seen research where the scoring is quite even until they reach a certain age and then all of a sudden you see the boys take off but then we see the offset being that the girls are being said oh this isn't your thing you go do be a teacher or a nurse or what I mean some of these other professions that are just as important so I I think that we we need to keep that even playing field um I, I have to laugh Heather a little bit my dad was an engineer I think he started he was a math major before and so I would go go in homework and I being a teenager I'd sometimes think oh why do I need this I'll never use it blah 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 I remember him telling me one time he said Susie you will use math in everything you do I know I probably rolled my eyes and stomped off into the next room or whatever I know that's what happened but it's come true so many times I think even in some of the policy work I do some of the communications work I do some of the outreach Something as silly as a common denominator comes through over and over. As I work with different people, I think, okay, what's the common denominator here? I need to know what the common denominator is so that we can launch a discussion. I need to know where we all agree. A simple mathematical principle. And that's true. Even if people don't think of budgeting, it is math. Everybody has to figure out, well, how much can I spend at the grocery store based on how much money I got paid this week? So yeah, math affects us in everything. It truly does. And I think, you know, one of the things, we, Susan, you're absolutely right. It's not an ability issue. It's not a capability. I mean, up until fourth grade, girls outperform boys in math. Yeah. Something switches at that critical point 
in the messaging the girls receive, um, perhaps at home, perhaps at school. And it's an unintentional messaging, a micro messaging that goes on and we know it's real. And I think one reason why we've really tried to take, you know, to kind of think about how do we reach our parents earlier and in a more positive fashion around a STEM narrative, right? I mean, one thing we've learned through the data is that one of the four most important things needed in order for a child of any gender anywhere to see themselves as STEM is to have a parent or both parents see themselves as STEM. You know, so, you know, Heather, going to your point, imagine if you're a parent that doesn't come from a STEM background, isn't a math professor, isn't an engineer, and how they may feel trying to have that conversation with their children at home. Um, it, it could be very difficult and intimidating. So trying to help parents understand that they too, they do STEM on a daily basis. They just don't, don't realize it, perhaps. This is a good place to take a break. When we come back, we'll delve more into STEM and how that affects our lives later in school and then into the workplace as well. So we'll be right back with Susan Spears, the CEO of Utah Association of CPAs, and Tammy Getz, the director of Utah STEM Action Center. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that affects your life in any way money-wise. We're talking about it, and today we're talking about STEM, that is science, technology, engineering, and math, and it's sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly of STEM. Joining me today is Tammy Getz. She is the director of Utah STEM Action Center, and Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. Tammy, let's skip ahead. We talked about it's really important that kids start early on in elementary school learning the concepts of math and science. But let's say we've gotten through college, we have a degree in technology, that's the big thing right now, IT. And I get hired on by a company and I think, woohoo, my life is set. Is that true? I think in general, yes. I think that when you look at the number of jobs that are open and growing in their availability in STEM-related areas of energy, transportation, IT and software, life sciences, healthcare, I think job availability is definitely there and it's growing. And I think you're going to find that in the next 10 years that the number of available jobs in STEM-related areas is going to continue to outstrip the growth in all other occupations. That's exactly what the the labor statistics are telling us. And those are patterns and trends that have been enduring, persistent over, you know, two decades. Right. The big conversation right now in the media, at least, is as more and more people develop AI, artificial intelligence, especially for writing, that's the big one in the journalism, somebody just letting AI write their news reports for them, those jobs will just go away because a computer will be able to do it. So are you seeing that more jobs could possibly get lost? I mean, somebody has to invent it. That's a job. But once they do, are they out? You know, that's a hard one to predict right now. I think there's a lot of fear going on around that. Um, I'll say that you know, we've been having similar conversations for years around automation and robotics and how that's displaced workers as well. And even, in, you know, and that, but I, I, it's hard to say. I don't, I don't know. I thought about this with relationship with related, as it relates to accounting and CPAs. And I thought, I wonder if AI is a concern in that arena right now. It sure seems like it could be. But Heather, I, I think that's a, a still to be determined. 
what kind of impact it will have on how future jobs are going to look. I think in STEM related areas, you're probably, you've got a greater, a higher level of protection from that impact than you might anywhere else. Well, I have to play devil's advocate here because this year alone in 2023, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, they've laid off tens of thousands of employees. And here in Utah, just 10 days ago, we heard that it's a Utah tech firm called Pluralsight. They Mm -hmm. laid off even more employees, and it was the third time in seven months that they've done so. That's a tech firm. These are all IT jobs that are going bye-bye at these companies. So where's everybody supposed to go? It's a phenomenon that's been going on, like you said, at least seven months, if not before that. We were just at a Women's Tech Council event. I think last December was the holiday event. And that was the topic of conversation were the the layoffs occurring in the tech sector at the time. And the good news for the tech sector is that there are a lot of companies out there. So we have critical mass And so the ability to move from company to company is much easier. There have been other industries in Utah 10, 15 years ago. That was one of the biggest issues in our life sciences, like our biomedical devices and our pharmaceuticals, is that we didn't have a critical mass. And so when, you know, a company's clinical trial would go up in flames or, you know, they laid off people, they had nowhere to go because we didn't have enough companies to pull those people in. That's changed because our life sciences industry is growing by 8 to 10% annually for the last five to six years. But the tech sector is suffering. There's no doubt about it. It's not just Utah. You're seeing those layoffs, kind of a post-pandemic bubble burst, I believe, probably. Susan, what are you seeing in the accounting firm? Tammy sort of brought it up, but as you know, I replaced my accountant with an online service to file my taxes. I don't pay an accountant anymore. Well, I, I think that people fear kind of at different levels that our profession is waning and going away. And I would say, honestly, quite the opposite. I think that it's fabulous, actually, that we have some robotics or some AI that can come in and do some of these simpler returns, if you will, or that can come in and, I mean, we can automate a lot of what we do because from there, it gives us the opportunity to really get down in the weeds and do the analytics and understand you know, what's going on in an organization, what's going on with an individual as we look at the financial worlds of each of these. So I look at it as a great tool. Now, if CPAs choose not to stay up on AI and technology, then surely they will go away and they should. Because as we continue to deal in AI, we're seeing our most successful CPAs being the ones that are embracing this new technology. I know that when I had my own practice, the more I could automate, the better. Because clients were willing to automate, embrace the technology, and free up my time to do the things that the machines can't do or couldn't do. As humans, we still have that critical thinking ability. So do machines. But we understand the emotions of our clients. We understand the environments of our clients and our businesses we understand a lot of intangible things that the, the T and the M do not, if you will. Now, they can. I'm sure that they can be programmed. I don't think that we're to that point yet. There's certainly a huge shortage of us. Any of you listening out there that have kids that need to decide what to major in, counting is great. I just don't see CPAs going away anytime soon. We're such a multifaceted profession 
that we will just continue to see ourselves embrace the technology and move into those arenas where we can really serve. Tammy, we have been discussing just STEM and that it those are all great areas to go into. And I agree. I mean, my major was in aviation, which is science straight up. But our schools, especially public education schools, are they pushing out other programs to make room for STEM courses? No, we aren't seeing that at all. Absolutely not. I mean, the one area you could say dominates a lot of time in schools is math, which is legitimately, you know, STEM, but we don't see other like arts, for instance, that's always been a big conversation. It's like, you know, arts is always feeling under threat and, and that, you know, maybe, you know, it's one of those things that's easy to get rid of because it may not align to a strong industry demand, which is always kind of show me the jobs and we'll invest in the program idea mentality. But one of the things we always try to tell people is that particularly in the art and STEM conversation is that the two are very important mindsets that need to stand alone and be independent, but that the, the intersections between art and STEM are brilliant. They're amazing. And there's so much uplifting that can happen when you integrate art into STEM and vice versa, when you integrate STEM into the arts. And so one, we don't advocate for pushing out any subject over STEM. We think kids need to have access to, to all opportunities, all disciplines and exposure. And honestly, we're still right now, I think if you look at science and art, they're both fighting to get more airtime in schools, period. It's, it's a math and reading game right now. Unfortunately for our kids, a lot of other STEM is fighting for time just as much as art is too, in some ways, with the exception of math. Um, there's still a lot of schools that don't allocate much time to science. Kids get maybe 45 minutes a week to do science content. I know that's kind of a long way of getting around to it, but we don't see other subjects being discarded in order to make room for STEM. And particularly with the programs that we support, the majority of them promote integration and cross-disciplinary efforts so that all subjects have, you know, fair play time. We're going to take one more break. When we come back, we'll find out more about STEM and what we can do to help ourselves and our kids, maybe, especially if we have to talk to them about these subjects that we know nothing about. So we'll be right back with Tammy Getz, the director of Utah STEM Action Center, and Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about STEM, and joining me is Susan Spears, the CEO of Utah Association of CPAs, and Tammy Getz, the director of Utah STEM Action Center. So, Susan, I'm going to come back to you to start this talk. Our kids may be learning a lot of STEM stuff in school, especially elementary school, junior high. They may be getting that, but... Like my example, I come home and I don't understand the full concept of some of this stuff. And maybe I have parents who were art majors and they're looking at me like, don't look at me. We know nothing. How are parents supposed to help their kids when they're learning STEM subjects? Well, I I think we see this all the time. I mean, I think, think about even, we go back to my growing up years, which was certainly a while ago. And now look at my kids and even what our grandkids are doing. And I think it's really easy for us to, as parents to say, you know what, I, I didn't learn that when I was your age. You're, you're going to have to ask an older sibling or a cousin or somebody within that same demographic. But I think that we live in a time now where things are changing so quickly 
and so fast that we need to take on that responsibility to at least have a basic understanding. The reason I say that is a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to work with about 60 kids in a money camp in an executive leadership academy. These were high school kids, juniors and seniors. So I got to work with these kids and kind of get to know them. But I was asking these kids, I said, what are some of your biggest challenges? And I was honestly not prepared for what they had to tell me. And it centered in, we don't know how to manage all this technology that is being thrown at us. Now, they came at it from a digital media, the news, you know, we have all these different platforms. And and so I was a little surprised. And I said, so, so what do you mean? It's like, well, our parents have no idea and they really don't care. Oh. Now, of course, this is just a teeny tiny little sample, but it was consistent enough among this group that, that it made me think even, I thought, boy, am I up to date on how to how to harness this, how to manage it, how to talk about it, understand what it does. So we're talking about that from a technology standpoint. We all use that. I'm not saying we all need to go out and get our engineer's degrees by any means, but this tech thing is such a big thing and it's growing exponentially that I think we need to understand what we're using. We've talked about on our program before, have a date night between husband and wife where you sit down and you go over your finances at least once a month. Maybe the parents and the kids should have a date night once a week where the kids can just show them, hey, this is the latest app I'm using. It's TikTok, whatever the latest, because there are so many technology apps out there that the kids are exposed to with their other friends and now they've got 550 apps on their phones well and i think it could be you know we we talk about the good the bad and the ugly and in a way it is kind of ugly that there is some ignorance there but i think the good i mean that's a great idea the good could come if we can bring the generations together to understand how this technology works because it's this young generation they're coming up with the next stuff, and um, I kid you not, they're coming up with it in high school. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Tammy, any thoughts on parents needing to stay up to date with some of our the STEM stuff going on? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting dialogue, isn't it? Just to kind of frame what I'm about to say, we did a, about a nine-month strategic planning process, and part of that was to do a community survey and, and try to harness perspectives and needs and views of our parents out there and and to assess their understanding of what STEM was and to determine if they had an interest in engaging more. And what came back to us, the takeaway was that parents want to know more. They, at least in our experience with, you know, the survey responses we received, there's a dearth of information and parents want that to change. And they want access to stuff, you know, to be able to bring STEM resources to their home. And so one of the things that we've been observing in one of our programs, which is our community-based makerspace, and this is kind of to your point, Susan, I think, that around technology is we took on the attitude, in fact, we borrowed this, I believe, from the math world, the idea of creating a, an immersive cross-disciplinary learning space that had a low floor and a high ceiling, such that we promoted easy entry into a technology-rich learning environment and then had a room-to-grow mentality around it. And what has come of that is we, you know, we've observed, and this I'll just say this anecdotally to kind of illustrate to you visually, like 
what we mean by this. In that makerspace that we've had open now for a little over a year, through a variety of promotions and word of mouth, et cetera, it is not uncommon to come in on Fridays and during open tinker time from noon to eight, and you will see a group of regular senior citizens that come in to learn how to 3D print, and they are on the computers using you know CAD-related type software to do their designs and 3D print and do laser cutting next to 12-year-olds who are showing them how to do it. And so you have this, I feel like we found this amazing, minimal threat, easy entry, friendly, welcome, inclusive place, you know, multi-generational learning can occur. And, you know, we have moms in there. We had a mother that came in and said, if I knew this is what engineering was, I probably would have gone to engineering school. I had no idea. And so I think there are ways to kind of close that that did that technology gap, not just around digital resources like apps, but also in the more high tech skills of laser cutting and 3D printing and some of the other skills that they can learn and even old school, you know, woodworking and welding. But I do believe there are places you can do this and, and create an environment where adults are learning new skills alongside kids. And Tammy, that's what your center offers. It's the STEM Action Center. What else does the Action Center promote or help with? Well, so that's one of our programs in South Salt Lake. We have what we call the Innovation Hub, which has a community-facing makerspace in it, which provides structured schedule school programs that kids come to for field trips and courses. Teachers come in for professional learning for our Saturday workshops. We also have open tinker time for the community to come in and just to have access to people who know what they're doing around these tools and these these you know technology devices that's one of our programs amongst many you can divide what we do into three basic categories one we do outreach engagement what we call kind of our spark component of the STEM action center and that's what the, our makerspace falls into that we have a STEM magic show we have micro STEM fest kits we check out to schools across the state etc we also have what we call our fundamental programs, which is where our kind of our foundational, which is where we have our, our portfolio of different math programs we offer and our professional learning programs for educators across the state. Since you said it's across the state, these programs people can access online? There are resources. We have our, our STEM resource library, which is um, growing all the time. Some high quality resources that you can access online. A lot of our programs, we, like, for instance, our micro STEM fests, we have, I want to say close to 35 sets of those that we have stationed at different checkout sites across the state with other partners. And then we work with our other partners, such as Utah State 4-H Extension, to help us deliver those to schools when they order them, check them out online. So we help get them to the schools and pick them up so they can be physical resources that we've strategically placed for distribution across the state. And do other states across the country have this type of STEM action center? There are some that have center much like ours. For instance, Idaho actually has the Idaho STEM action center. They modeled theirs after ours. A lot of states will have them as programs that exist as a nonprofit standalone organization, such as the Washington STEM initiative. They're hundred percent nonprofit with a much smaller scope of programming, but very robust. Every state has some type of state level STEM initiative going on, and they can all look very different depending upon how they were structured. 
What is the website in case people want more information? How do they get to the Utah STEM Action Center? Thanks. It's Utah, spelled out, dot, stem, dot, gov. G-O-V is in Victor. Any last thoughts as we wrap things up? Tammy, anything else you want our audience to understand about STEM, good, bad, and ugly? I love it. I mean, we love to think it's all it's all good. There are challenges we're all trying to figure out in this this crazy world of ours. It changes all the time. We just want our community to know that we're here to serve. We And we do this with the help of a lot of partners. We do virtually nothing on our own. We have an amazing set of partners out there between our school districts. If you're a company listening and you want to get engaged with us, please let us know. If your parents need resources, by all means, please reach out to us. We're here to help and serve you. That's what we do. Susan, any thoughts? Yeah, I think this has been great. If there's anything that we've learned here in the last little bit is STEM is here to stay. And I think the the resources that Tammy's talked about, what better place to start I mean, as a child, as an adult, regardless of where, where you are? Let's learn about it. Let's continue to grow it and have these intelligent conversations. Thank you so much. My guest, Tammy Getz. Again, you are the director of Utah STEM Action Center. And Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. And you've helped break down why STEM is so powerful in our culture now. And there might be a little bit of bad things about it, but we can overcome. Thank you. you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media. Money Making Sense on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.